This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Rick Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage I have ever tried. There's so much going on in life and there's a need for good nutrition for your body. You have to support when you give yourself good nutrition, you give your mind the same thing. And being a chiropractor and preaching and educating individuals on health on a consistent basis, I'm always looking for something that can help meet my demands and needs for my body from a nutritional standpoint so that I can continue to thrive in every aspect of my life, no matter what I do. And this is where I like Athletic Greens. It comes in, it's full spectrum nutrition, it's life-changing. They have an all-in-one superfood powder that hits your nutritional essence. It has things that I truly enjoy like mushrooms and greens and antioxidants and other factors 
factors that I can get in, probiotics and prebiotics and so much more. It is one of the things with all the best things that they have put into this shake. So one taste of this Athletic Greens contains up to 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, a multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and so much more to give you that gap, right? That's why they call them supplements. So it gives you that gap to help you with that, that aspect. And for me, especially when I'm on the road, this is my go-to to truly help give me my body and everything that I need to thrive in every aspect that I can. And what's great about the product is it's, it's a lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free or gluten free and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on its taste. And I must say the taste is something that I was impressed with because I've taken a lot of different green products in my life. Again, I've been doing nutrition for 21 years and this is one product that got the taste right, even with all the good, which I was shocked to see that. And right now with Athletic Greens is doing is they're doubling down on supporting your immune system during the these times. And what they're offering is a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Visit athleticgreens.com forward slash mindful and get your free year of vitamin D and five free travel packs. This show is sponsored by Empower Your Reality. Empower Your Reality is an online consciousness school that is designed to help you elevate the mind, raise your consciousness, your vibration, to attract and create the reality of what it is that you desire. On Empower, at Empower Your Reality, we have books, we have online classes, you can find the podcast here on there, and other things that can help you elevate and truly learn the art and the science of creating the reality of what it is that you want to experience in your life. So for more information to check out all that we're up to and what we're doing, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everyone. This is Dr. Vic, and you're listening to another episode here on The Mindful Experiment. Excited to have you on as each week, every Friday, we share an interview that we had with an individual who's going to help you to maybe raise your consciousness level of awareness, but do something to help you evolve, expand in your life one way or another. This week, I have a great guest to share with you. His name is Jonathan K. DeVoy, and he is an expert financial advisor. He's the best-selling author, speaker, and angel investor. Jonathan and I had some great conversations. We talked about um, financials. Where are we? Why do we focus so much on money? Where? How does mindfulness play away? Play away? Play away in money? Talked a little bit about his book, The Mindful Money, and also talked about you know children and how we're you know teaching them about values in life and so much more. The planning process, happiness, and all these great things that we had. So I know it's going to be a great dialogue for you to listen in and tune in with us. Um, but just a quick background. Jonathan has led an independent financial planning firm since 2002. He and the Mindful Money team work one-on-one -on -one with 300 families and foundations. The Mindful Money team offers simple steps to financial success and tools to mindfully overcome emotional and cognitive biases related to money. Jonathan provides keynotes and workshops at conferences and associations. His team works with businesses to build transparent retirement plans for businesses and financial education programs for employees. Jonathan is passionate about spreading the values of goal-focused and planning-driven wealth management to help people enjoy 
better financial outcomes and live happier lives. His personal goal is to touch 1 million lives in 10 years with Mindful Money Financial Education Courses. We'll be sharing a little bit about his course that he has. And if we're listening to the podcast, you'll be able to tune in and tap into that course for free. Link will be tied into the show notes. So without further ado, I'm excited to share this episode with you. Here is Jonathan K. DeVoy. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Ah, It's great to be here. I'm glad to to be uh, chatting with you. I'm glad to have you on, especially everything that went on last year, still continuing this year. Uh, money is a topic that I think, uh, as we were just saying, sharing just a second ago about how in you know, the last 10 to 15 years, it's been very interesting. I think even more so now, people are looking for ways and, and things. And so I'm excited to pick your brain and be able to um, share with the listeners your, your methodologies and so forth when it comes to personal finance and things like that. Great. Let's get into it. So before we jump in, can you please just take a moment? The listeners know my, my format already. I always like to ask the question of how did you get into what you get into? Was it was it something that you just chose and this has been your path? Or was it more of like a bounce around kind of effect? And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? This is where I'm going. This is my path. It's, it's an interesting way to ask the question. I, um, I mean, I started off you know, as a kid. Didn't, we didn't have much. Uh, and so I was very interested in personal finance and, and I got very interested in studying business and, and how to make money and how to manage money, um, you know, out, out of a sense of, uh, I'd like to have some someday, you know, I'd like to have some of the things my friends have. I'd like to, you know, my dad had a very blue collar job. My, my, uh, my peers in school had uh, very white collar parents. And so it was something I always wanted. I wanted to have a clean, you know, a suit. I didn't want to wear overalls. And so that was just something that was deep in my background. But then I went to, you know, I went to school to study finance. And after reading about it and studying it for a long time, it just sort of bored me to tears a little bit. So I shifted gears and uh, I shifted gears towards philosophy and comparative religion. And I ended up in a Lutheran seminary and I switched gears from seminary to studying sort of academic Buddhist studies. And then it came time to go to work at some point. And, you know, philosophy and religious studies does not a career make unless you become a professor or, or, you know, go, go maybe a monk or something like that. I I thought about that for a bit. Uh, uh, So I had to get a job. And so I started, you know, pounding the pavement with Wall Street firms and uh, Dean Witter hired me. And so I started really spent the first five years of my career coming back to finance and investing and, and, and business, working with business owners, uh, came, came back to this uh, and spent five, maybe six years with different Wall Street firms, like six or seven Wall Street firms before finally starting my own firm in 2002. So it's been, I mean, we're in our 20th year now uh, and we're focused you know, pretty much purely on this concept of financial education and financial planning as the levers we can pull to actually you know, create a better outcome for a client. It's less salesman, more advisor than I started. Very interesting. And, and so, so since 2002, you've had your own firm, correct? Yes. Awesome. What would you say is one of the biggest mistakes that you've seen people make, and this may take us down a, a rabbit hole or a long path, but I'm just going to ask the question anyhow. Um, when it comes to finances in general, what is the big mistake that people kind of make? The, the single biggest mistake, and if we could stop people from doing this, I think it would be huge. Uh, the single biggest mistake, and it goes both ways, is the 
the sense that we can predict and our, our brains, you know, filter information uh, and it selects things, our brains select things that already agree with our preconceived notions universally, whether it's, you know, the thing your wife said to you last night before you went to bed and, and what that did to your psychology, or whether it's how you react when a kid, when your son or daughter does something, or whether it's how you react when markets go down or when, you know, GameStop is trading at some insane valuation or when Bitcoin is being talked about online. So you, your brain is going to react to this stuff and it's going to, it's going to move you in a direction because you think it's indicative of something. And that's a problem. The idea that we can glean from a little bit of data here and there, what's going to happen next, that creates just oodles of problems. You know, whether that's a client coming and talking to us and saying, um, you know, Jonathan, I just heard about this, you know, or you, Apple has a new phone and, and it's going to, you know, it's going to change the way the world works. And, um, but this is, you know, this is the iPhone 12. Like it's, we know what Apple does now. We, we know that they produce this phone. This isn't news. This isn't something we didn't already, that the market didn't expect. Um, so it's, we can't predict what the future holds and whether we're predicting upside and we're surprised on downside or we're predicting downside and we go upside, it, it, it doesn't matter. So what we have to do instead of predicting is we have to focus on planning because with planning, you sort of make some assumptions and your assumptions are conservative. And so you, you plan in a way that you can surprise yourself on the upside because things can go differently than your expectations. I can totally agree with that 100%, probably like many other listeners too, especially when it comes to predictions and so forth. You mentioned Bitcoin. I, I, I play around with a little bit of that in the crypto markets, not just with Bitcoin, but a ton of different coins. And it's always fascinating to me that when I think things are massively going to shift and go on the upside, I get extra bullish. And then all of a sudden, the market teaches me a lesson. Um, and it's funny. I laugh at it. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. And it's always amazing because I'm like, I ah, just got to stay more. Uh, I love how you say like the planning and conservative side, because it's true, because that's where the bulk actually works out, where, where sometimes I'm like, ooh, this is a bottom, I think I'm going to really go at it. And then all of a sudden it's like, yep, no, a couple hours later, it showed <laughs> differently. And I'm like, okay, learned my lesson. I thought it, 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 now I got to look at different time frames. but it's one of the things where I, I totally can agree and see that how, you know, when it comes to planning and aspects, when it comes to the finances side, what are some things that, especially since we're coming off COVID, right? There's a new stimulus package coming out. I, I loved your background story, very similar to mine, blue collar, you know, my parents live paycheck to paycheck. We never really had much money to do much. I had to figure out ways to make money to get some of the things I wanted. Um, even at a young age, I remember eight, nine years old, or maybe nine was wanting a, a super Nintendo. And I, I would tell my parents and they'd be like, you know, we just can't, you know, get that. It was like a hundred and some odd dollars. And so I was like, you know what? I'll be patient. I'll figure this out. And then six months later, uh, picking up scraps of money here and there, I was able to make that happen. Um, but it's one of the things where how can individuals, and I know this could take us down a lot of different paths, um, when it comes to the planning side and how do they, what are methods and ways that you, you can definitely, you know, share and recommend to help individuals? You mean in terms of uh, creating your own financial plan? Yeah, something like that or something along yeah. the lines, you know, just in that generality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not, there are a ton, there are a ton of resources in this space. Um, and I, you know, I wrote a book and and if you do the exercises at the end of every chapter in my book, at the end of the book, you will have a basic financial plan done. And that's the, 
that that's like an easy way to do it. There's lots of people that have written like the the uh, the note card financial plan or the one page financial plan or the there's there's lots of different opportunities to do this. The 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 challenge though is we know that it's out there. We know that the data is there. We know that there's support systems, but we don't engage them. Instead, you know, and this is maybe this is a cultural challenge. Instead, we turn on you know, our, our news feed, or we turn on the television or we turn on the radio and, and we create a whole bunch of emotions around things that are moving that we can't control or we can't manage or we can't think about. And those drive us to actions. We fall back into this prediction problem. So the, the best thing you can do in, in planning is literally figure out where you are now. Look at a balance sheet of your life. Look at, look at uh, your cash flows, look at your income statement, look at how these two things interact. You know, if you're, if you're making more money than you're spending, then you're growing your balance sheet, right? It's that these, these two simple uh, tools, balance sheet, income statement, th these two things can actually really help people get a handle on their lives if they figure out how to implement them. And that's, you know, one of the chapters in our book, in my book, we talk about that specific issues. How do we, how do we understand our balance sheet? And then how do we set goals? And that's, that's something we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to offer as a, as a freebie at the end of this. And in the show notes, we're going to, we're going to offer a, a free um, values, purpose, goal setting course uh, for your listeners. I think that's a, that's a great place to begin the planning process is understand what's important to you, what it is you're planning for. And then it's, you know, then it's kind of a resource management game. It's like, I don't know if you play board games, but the old, the old, old, old resource, ma resource management game was Monopoly, but there's a ton of great resource management games out there that, that give people, give kids practice and how they, okay, I, you know, I want to, I want to develop a, a, you know, a, a real estate thing. Well, this is how I do that. I want to develop a business. Well, this is how I do that. I want to save for retirement. Well, this is how I do that. There's a, you know, remember the game of life. That was just a resource management game, right? Um, these are all our actual life is a resource management game. I have limited time. I have limited financial resources. I have all kinds of things I want to do with, the, with that time and those financial resources. I have other things that I have to do. How am I managing the resources for better personal outcomes? Uh, and when I know what I want to do, it's much more likely that I will make those things that I want to do happen and, and get less distracted by the shiny thing or the new thing or the fast thing. So true. How does, you know, so there's methods and methodologies and so forth, but I know we were talking briefly before about mindfulness um, and your book's called Mindful Money. How does mindfulness play a role? Because just in my own experiences, I think that's even more critical to some degrees. Um, but how does mindfulness play a role when it comes to just finances in general and so forth? Yeah. So first let's, let's define terms. You know, mindfulness is a non, this is important, a non-judgmental awareness of the present moment. It's, it is the recognition of the reality before we start to apply all the narratives. And we all have just a ton of narratives. So many, many, many years ago, there was a belief that was sort of the foundation of economics, which obviously it becomes the foundation of personal finance, as well as many other things in the financial world. And that's um, uh, that man, mankind, men and women are rational animals. Like we, we gather all kinds of data and we make rational decisions with, with, with full information, we make the most rational choices. Now, I don't know, test that hypothesis in your own life. You know, you, you just talked about your, the Bitcoin trading or the, or the crypto trading. I think it's, you know, if, if you look at your own life, you, you begin to realize that's really not the way you behave. Uh, in the last 
15 years or so, there's been this renaissance in this thing called behavioral economics or behavioral finance. And today, no one would say that we're rational. Like everybody knows that we're driven by cognitive and emotional biases. Um, but this hasn't poured over into how we behave with money. You know, the stance of most humans and most media is that happiness comes from consumption or becomes from reaching the next promotion or, or getting the advanced degree or, or get, you know, doing the next big thing. And financial success comes from investment selection and market timing. But with a brain that's driven by cognitive and emotional biases, we can't consume enough because it always, it always resets. That's the hedonic treadmill. Um, it leads to addiction and depression and all kinds of other things. And all of our investing efforts, they end up uh, sort of as short-term speculations if we're led by these cognitive and emotional biases. This leads to more buying and selling. It leads to um, running away when markets are down and, and running towards when markets are up, which is kind of exactly the opposite of what you want to do. So mindfulness, that non-judgmental awareness becomes a reason, or sorry, a doorway to reason at the moment that the brain is trying to get you to do something you shouldn't do, whether it's, whether it's buy the new toy that you can't afford or sell the thing that's down when it's about to revert to the mean and head back up or buy the thing that's up because everyone's talking about it in the media when you know it's just about to turn and go south. This, is, this mindfulness keeps us from doing the thing that sometimes our, our, you know, our amygdalas really want us to do that's going to hurt us in the long run. Uh, remove the narrative, remove the excitement about the investment, remove the depression about the decline, remove that narrative. And you'll notice that there's this long upward trajectory. Just trust in that trajectory that, that it's, you know, it pauses sometimes it goes backwards a little bit sometimes, but it always comes back. So believe in that and invest to engage that, not to engage the exciting zigs and zags every day. I love how you explain that because when it comes to in my, my own coaching business that I do in my mindset practices that I teach and so forth with classes and all that, I always talk about um, the, the essence of practicing mindfulness to not get distracted, right? Yep. And, and when you have that centeredness, you have that inner peace or that centeredness, that, that, that place where you're like, you know what, I, this is where I'm going to go and this is how I'm going to go. And you don't let distractions or the shiny lures pull you off that course or, and, and I tell them that can be, and a distraction can also be, you said, you take a few steps back, right? Sometimes things recorrect and so forth. And it's like, uh, wait a minute, I'm freaking out. I'm panicking. But from a place of mindfulness, you can stay centered and be like, you know what? This is fine. This is all good. This is where we're at. Maybe buy the dip. This is an opportunity. And it's so sometimes those things can play a role massively as you, you eloquently explained how it can help. I know in my own practice, when I'm looking at trades or I'm looking at something, I will meditate and do breath work before I go do that practice, just so my mind's in the right place. So that way I'm not like, oh, look at this. This is going to happen. It's like, nope, let me see. I'm in this. When do I add more to my position to help me more in the long run to you know add to my gains in a sense um, in that practice? And, and when I do do that, it's amazing how it really, really works. So it's, I mean, uh, the, the when I first started in the industry and I was at, I was at, um, with the wall street firms, I tried trading. Like I, I, I traded options. I traded stocks. You know, I, I remember there was a day in like 19 in late nineties where, where I personally, and I had, you know, a whole bunch of clients I was trading with at the same time. Uh, I had like a hundred thousand options on Juniper networks. Um, and I was, you know, 
uh, I was deep into this trade. Um, and it obviously went south, right? That's how you learn these lessons. Uh, it, it went, it went away that I wasn't expecting. And, and, you know, that it taught me this lesson and many people can trade. I, I do know some people that know how to trade and they've got a system and it works and it works for a period of time. The, the thing that I'm always cautious about and, you know, in mindfulness, you're, you, you end up being self-reflective about is how much of that success or that failure is due to um, your lack of understanding or your understanding and how much is due to just dumb luck. And I think that when the analysis is done, when academics look at performance, they tell you that the vast majority of the positive or the negative is just dumb luck. And so then the question becomes for me, what are the systems I can put in place to build wealth for my family uh, so that I can you know, take care of us, take care of us long-term, take care of my parents if they need it, um, support my wife's parents if, she, if they need it, uh, what, what are the, what's the practice I can do? And, and so my practice has always been, you know, since about 20 years ago is I just, when I have money, I invest it as broadly as I can. I invest it in, you know, many thousands of global companies. Uh, and when I have more money, I just invest more money in the same thing. I don't buy and sell. I don't trade. When I have money, I invest it. If I don't have money, you know, I don't spend money. Uh, and then if I have a little bit more money, I invest that money. It's, it's, you know, broad, broad, broad diversification, um, somehow planning-based asset allocation and regular rebalancing. And I just, I don't overthink it. And by doing that, I think you build, you build something that is sustainable. It's manageable by the next generation. It's understandable. You don't have to be a wizard. You don't have to be a genius. And that's, I think that's huge when you're thinking about multi-generational wealth, you know, how are we going to leave this to our kids or, or how are we going to do something that I can do when I'm, not as sharp as I am today, which, you know, that's going to happen <laughs> at some point. I'm not going to be sharp. I'm not going to be as sharp. And I see this happen. And, and having a simple process, so important, simple, repeatable, trustworthy process to get, to get to average, not even to get to amazing, just to get to average on a regular basis. If you hit singles every single day, you end up winning games, just singles every day, singles. That's what I go for. I love that. I, I don't know who came up with the single thing. Was it Yogi Berra that said that or someone? Because I, my, my, I have a coach who, who used to always used to repeat that to me about just get up and hit a single. Who cares about anything else? Just get a single and that's your goal. We, we can attribute that to Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra. He said many, many things. And I'm sure I'm sure, I'm sure it may have been him. I don't know. <laughs> I know he has a lot of great statements. That's why I was my first mindset was like, I think it's Yogi Berra, but I don't know. I never seen it. But no, it's so true. And I think sometimes in life, the most, and I do this in health when I'm working with clients on health, because being a chiropractor and running a practice, uh, when I do other aspects of from a holistic standpoint, I always try to go as simple as possible. And what I found through the health world is that when I do that with work with patients on the most simplistic ways to improve their health, it's amazing how monumentally things will change over time, right? Everything needs time. And I think that same approach works really, really well in, in the finance world too, because even just doing a simple approach, right? I'm not going to get caught into the, uh, I have friends who are day traders and I get blown away by some of the things they do. And uh, I, like the, the, the amount they can make off a trade or in a, within a month, how much their portfolio grows. And I'm just like, man, how the heck do I figure that out? 
But then again, there's also the other conundrum of that. What works for the individual that is, you know, like they say, um, are you comfortable with? What are things that you, what is more simple for you that um, there's a saying that says, as long as you can sleep at night and not be stressed about your trades and what you have going on, then that's what you want rather than freaking out when you're in a trade and it's like, ah, is this going to make it? Is it not going to make it? What's going to happen here? And, uh, and then all of a sudden it, it, sometimes when I feel that way, it always goes South and I'm like, ah, gotta stop worrying about these things. Um, and the, uh, and, and, and your, your friend, who's really good at that, at that trading it's, you know, at any point in time, if you took all the traders and you put them on a bell curve, there'd be a bunch that do really, really well, a bunch that do really, really poorly. And most of them would be stacked up in some kind of a middle section. Right. Yeah. And if you, if you then repeated that in the next period of time, you wouldn't have the same distribution. Like some of the people that did really poorly would move to be doing really well. Some of the people that did really well would be doing really poorly. And the stories, and this, this goes back to that narrative. When I was successful, when I was trading options and I was doing really well, the narrative I told all of the other people on my floor was how good I was at this. And when I started losing on trades, I kept that shit to myself. Like I didn't share it because, wow, that's embarrassing. Why would I? So it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta kind of take with a grain of salt the person that comes to you and talks about their great trades, unless they're also the kind of person that comes to you and, and tells you how stupid they are from time to time. Because I promise you, they are both. <laughs> if you are taking risk, you're experiencing the upside and you're experiencing the downside. No one just gets one half of that puzzle. I, I appreciate you sharing that because it's so true. I mean, and he does, it's a, it's amazing when he shares his losses It's actually very humbling for me. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, I've been, I mean, I haven't had that level of losses. He's a big trader, but I was like, I, I feel and appreciate it, especially like, cause you know, normal stocks, it's a le- as not as volatile as the, the crypto markets are. And, um, but it's one of the things where he shares his stories of like, look, you think I have always winners. Here's six trades I got in. There are a hundred thousand roughly around each that I've lost. He goes, wow. but I've made, uh, here's what I've made in these amounts of times. And he goes, I'm always up to a certain degree, but he goes, I have losses just like anybody else. Yeah, and good. it's humbling for me. Cause I'm sitting there going, man, sometimes some months are good and some aren't. And it's like, well, you know, it's one of those things where it challenges, you know, uh, the individual. Cause for me as a trader, I'm like, all right, what do I do here? If I'm having a bad month, it's like, hold on. But again, bringing back to your point about having the plan, stick with the plan and be simple with it and, and just, you know, continue to work with it. Um, usually works in the long run very, very well uh, yep. in that process. Yep. I agree. And would you say too, when it comes to some of these, we talked about predictions, you know, and things like that. And this may be answering a question because I, 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 I've heard this before. Uh, the individuals having, you know, and, and when it comes to like illusions, uh, financial illusions, um, what are some of those things that people have when it comes to financial illusions? And can you explain a little bit on that? Yeah, I think there's a, I think that, um, so there's, in, in the book, I talk about, you know, eight big financial illusions. And one of the ones I like to talk about the most is this distinction between risk and volatility. People think of, you know, uh, and, and, and more so today, actually, than say 15 years ago, and more so in like 1940 uh, than in 1929. So after a big correction, people start confusing risk and volatility. And this is a critical, um, it's a critical, it's really important understanding. So there's this massive, almost intentional misunderstanding about risk. The statisticians and academics kind of measure risk as standard deviation. That's the zigs and the zags we see in the prices of our investments. And going in, we should expect those, right? Each of our investments has a natural volatility. 
it's normal for markets to zig and zag. Um, markets are a price, I think it was Buffett that says markets are a price discovery mechanism. You know, prices for everything goes up and down, whether it's tuna at the, at the supermarket or whether it's a price of a share of a stock or a, or a cryptocurrency or a piece of real estate. You can't predict ever how far up or down they're going to go. You can't know how long that change is going to last. And you can't know really if or when it's going to turn around. That is normal. That's not risk. That's just normal volatility. Risk is what the human adds to the equation. You know, when we interpret the volatility, if something we buy plummets in value, we call that risk. You know, it's, it's always a possibility but when it goes down in value, that's when we say, oh, this is risky. Now, if the anticipation of the decline is not part of the process of acquisition, then you're not ready to invest. Like if you can't confuse normal volatility with risk or what's going to happen is you're going to make mistakes. When, when natural volatility happens, you're going to sell at the wrong time or you're going to buy at the wrong time. Um, I know a, a, a Buddhist monk who says it this way. He says, Wisdom is recognizing that the plate will break and then taking care of it anyways. But then when it breaks, oh, I knew that would happen, right? It's not, it's not that you avoid things going down in value. You embrace things going down in value because it is the, it is the possibility that they will go down in value for a short period of time that enables the probability that they will increase over a long period of time. And the, the goal of the investor, this isn't the trader or the speculator, um, but the goal of the investor is to hold on as things go down, as things are volatile around a trend line. And when you look at you know, any chart of a long-term market, it, it has a positive you know, up and to the right slope with all kinds of volatility in the short term. And it's totally unpredictable, right? So distinguishing between risk and volatility and not confusing those two or thinking that, that volatility equals risk, that's, that's probably the biggest illusion. And that, that drives people to hide out in cash and avoid risk or you know, avoid volatility. Uh, and it means they have less wealth later in their lives. I think that's a big one. I like, I like that, that. That's such a huge thing to look at. And um, I know I've made those mistakes in my life and I know many others too. And it's one of those things to, I love this. I love how you were to use the word investor because it's really more of, you know, as an investor, you don't get hung up in the short term as much because you're seeing the big vision and the big picture of everything. Yep. Yep. Now I have a question to ask here, because this is something that I know many people have gone through in the last year. And it's one of the things that, um, Get people, you know, when it, when it comes to money, there's so much emotion behind it. And a lot of times, you know, and I know, you know, what was it? Bitcoin just went through a correction a couple of weeks ago where I know people I was talking to were freaking out. It was like a good 20 something percent correction. And everyone was like, oh my goodness, I got to, when they had to sell. And of course they sold at the bottom. And I'm like, no, just hold, it will come back. Just hold it's, you know, uh, you know, and whatnot. But Long story short, why is it that money creates such like a enorm enormous amount of stress and anxiety for individuals uh, in, 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 all, in those aspects? Well, <laughs> there's, there, there's a couple of very distinct reasons for this. And one, one of them is really sort of cultural. One of them is global. One, one issue is there is no formal financial education. You know, we're all flying blind. Um, and, you know, we grow up 
we hear stories about finance and we learn lessons about money before we recognize that we're learning lessons. Like we're sitting at our grandparents' knees and they're telling stories and we're absorbing these stories. And some of those stories, you can think about it. Um, you know, you, you mentioned your, your upbringing, my upbringing, very, very similar. Um, my parents would constantly tell me, no, we can't afford that. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. And that, that gets ingrained um, to the point where today, uh, you know, I can afford it, but I still have this message in the back of my head you can't spend money on that. You can't spend money on that. You can't spend money on that. And that's that it holds on. And so there's these, one of the biggest, probably the most significant source of stress is we don't have any formal education on this. The schools teach absolutely zero practical lessons about money. So all we're left with are these stories we learned as children before we knew we were learning the stories. And then the second thing is, is, the, is the really cultural one. I think it's far more in the US than it is in other places. You know, we've, we've financialized everything. You know, we've financialized our idea, our idea of success. We've, uh, we've, we've financialized you know, which jobs are the most important jobs. We've financialized um, you know, who, who we want to partner with. Every, everything, relationships, uh, our, our health, our, everything has a, has a price tag associated with it. And I remember somebody said something like, um, uh, the things that are important can't be measured. And I, I think that we're losing sight of that. And I think that, you know, our very, very, um, whatever volatile political environment makes this even worse. I think that people are unfriending each other because, you know, for some signaling reason or for, and, and that's, it's not good for us because we financialized everything. You know, it's very difficult to not be stressed. It's very difficult to not, you know, judge people. It's very difficult to, to lay down the beliefs when you're talking to somebody that might believe differently than you um, and not, and not judge them about, about what they're spending money on or, uh, which makes it hard to be generous and grateful. It makes it hard to be these other things that actually add meaning to our lives. Um, and so one of, the, one of the important implications of the planning process is you actually think about what matters to you. You, know, you redefine success. You know, it, it should be based on things like you know, what makes you happy, um, your health, you know, learning, new experiences, relationships, um, meaningful work, accountability, generosity, optimism. These are the things that philosophers and, and theologians and psychologists have been studying for thousands of years that we know add value to life. Those are things that are just, they're just sort of hidden in the corners. They're in the shadows. We don't talk about them. We don't learn about them because we're so focused on dollars. And that's, that, I think that's probably the biggest reason in the U.S. why we are so incredibly stressed around money. We focus on it too much. It becomes the center of everything, and it, it really shouldn't be. Um, you should take your plan, and you should base that on things that you know that will add value to your life, well-being to your life. I love how you bring that up. It, 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 even just thinking about my own life and, and where, um, <clears throat> again, not knowing, just going and trying to have this mission to, to get to a certain level, and then you get there, and then you look back, and you're like, this can't be it. Like this can't be what I thought this was what's happiness and success being at this certain level financially would bring all these other things to the picture. Even when I knew there's a certain level of how much you make. And then after that level, there, it doesn't really change your happiness too much. 
And it was at a point where then you, you brought it up and I brought, you brought it up so well, but like, what, well, what is your meaning of ideal success? What is your meaning of what makes you happy? What are the things that value? And I, I do agree hundred percent just seeing and everything about how, when it comes to what we, um, the, the things that we can't measure should be the one of the, not should be, but should be more focused on and to a certain degree in our lives um, to that aspect, instead of just always seeking for money and determining our value. And I was one of those individuals who determined my value based on my financial success rather than determining my value based on me. Yep. No, it's huge. And and it's, it's so, um, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but, and so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ask you, but uh, yeah, um, my, I have two kids and I was raised with very little. And because I was raised with very little, I wanted and because I wanted, I worked really hard and I, and, you know, I put conscious effort into understanding how money works. My kids, they don't want, like they, they're part of whatever club they want to be part of. They go to, you know, um, great schools. There's good vacations. We have nice cars. We, so we, so they're, they're being raised in a completely different environment. And so now the thing that keeps me up at, at night is because of how important it was to me to be financially successful, I have now taken away their struggle. And the thing that would, they would understand where meaning comes from if they had to struggle, but now they don't have to struggle. And so now they, they believe, and, and, and you know, this is, they're young still. So it's like, we're going to learn a lot. I, I'm going to learn a lot about, about how to raise kids after, after I've totally screwed it up. Uh, <laughs> um, and I worry, this is the one thing I worry about is, you know, what are the message we're sending our kids when we, you know, battle for their places in a camp, or we, you know, we pave, we pave the way for them to be more successful with their teachers. And there's articles in the Atlantic almost every week about some, you know, horrible parent and what they did to some teacher, you know, to get a grade changed for their third grader, which is, it's mind blowing to me. Um, and yet I, I see the tendency, I see in me the tendency to make it really, really easy for them. But we got to recognize that we're, we're teaching lessons this whole time. And if we, if we think that, hey, we, my son has to get an A on this paper in third grade so that he can go to a good high school, so he can go to a good college, so he can get a good job and make a lot of money. God, that's ridiculous. That's where we're, we're killing them and we're taking away all the joy. Um, and that's, if we, if you, if we're raised with very little, you, you're in a much better place to recognize where value comes from. If you're raised with a lot and the pressure to produce a lot, you'd never see where the value comes from. And I think that's, we're going to have a rough go as a culture um, because of what we've done and how we've defined success. It's a, I think it's going to be an interesting 50 years as we unlearn this. And, and, you know, we're seeing some evidence of millennials that are saying, Hey, we don't, we don't, we don't agree with this methodology. We don't, we don't agree with this path. And I think that's a beautiful thing if it sticks, because there's also this undercurrent of, well, it's, it's not fair. I don't, I don't have enough for me and I need, you know, so there's, we haven't let go of the desire for more, but we have embraced, maybe this isn't the right path. And so we've got to sort those things out. Um, but it's going to be an interesting 50 years for sure. I appreciate you sharing that about your children and so forth. I don't have kids yet, but it's one of the conversations I have with my wife a lot is about when we do have kids, I'm like, you know, I'm in a different place than when I, when I grew up, but I'm like the one thing that I don't care what it takes 
I am going to teach them to make sure that you got to bust your rent. Like you got to work hard. Cause I grew up six years old. My dad took my dad laid carpet for a living and I would work with him six o'clock, six, starting at six, he would have me work. And I did it for 15 years with him. And it's one of the things where, I mean, they're long days or long hours, you know, you can't ask a guy, Hey, when are we going to be done? Or when's our hour going to be done? So I know I can start planning, you know, fun things to do. We get done when we get done. That's just how it was. And so it's one of those dilemmas. I'm like, we have to figure out how we're going to teach our kids this because I want them to keep that drive. I want them to be hungry as they, as the, as that phrase goes um, so that they want to strive and, and, and go to the level of what they want to do and, and be resilient at the same time. It's, you know, it's, uh, again, I, I don't think I did it hundred percent right myself. I think I've got great kids, uh, but I, I don't think I taught them. I don't, I don't think I gave them the lesson of, drive the way I wanted to give it to them. I ended up talking a lot about it, you know, you know, mentioning it, bringing it into conversation talking about how it's, how it's really, really important to work hard. Um, and yet, you know, I wanted to enjoy my success. So I did buy a new car and I did, I did do, you know, I did buy a, a nice house and I, and I, and I, and I did all the things that would make me comfortable and fulfill my goals and dreams and those will ultimately have an effect because they, therefore my kids were raised in that space, right? They, that's what they see. That's what they got used to. They didn't see the 20 years of work that went into building it. They just saw, oh, look at this, you know, dad, dad drives this car and we take these vacations. They didn't see the work that built up to that, even though, you know, they do see that I'm down here. I'm down here in my home office working, you know, all the time. They do see that. Um, but it's, I just, I, I, I don't, I haven't cracked the code on how to, you know, meet the, meet my own desires for feeling successful myself and giving them the struggle that they can build it themselves and overcome things. And this is how do you build grit? How do you build resilience? How do you, this is what all the child rearing books are about. Um, this is what kids need. And I, I just, you know, uh, I don't think I did it Maybe I get a B. Maybe I get a B, 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 B minus, B plus on the grade. I, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll find out. I'll find out in 10 years, uh, you know, when, when they're a little bit older. I'll know how I did. But uh, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. We'll see. And that's all that matters, right? And it's, it's just showing up, doing your best all the time. That's why I tell my wife, I'm like, you know, we, we're probably not, we're not going to get anything perfect. I already know that. I'm already like <laughs> taking that expectation out. Like I'm not even trying. I'm like, I even tell her, she's because we'll talk about like, um, we've studied a lot of different things and, and, and I've studied mindset and all this. And I, um, being a chiropractor, I studied a lot of neuroscience, neural development, mm -hmm. how the brain developments, you know, ego, all these different things, especially in my mindset coaching. And it's one of the things where I'm like, even though I know all these things, and even though I, I, I wouldn't call myself an expert, I don't like calling using that term, but I'm just very knowledgeable in that department. I was like, at the same token, we're going to, I'm going to mess up. I'm like, we're going to mess up. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to, we're totally going to. And even as much as, you know, even when it comes to a money site mindset, or even when it just comes to the, you know, we talk about the, the, the struggles that we went through that they don't have to go through um, at the same token, it's going to be like, it's just is what it is. And we can just do the best we can to try to create a, a reality or a situation to be like, okay, here's, here's what it is. Like I tell my wife all the time, I'm like, if my kids choose to go to college, you know, and, and we will take care of it. We won't let them know that we're taking care of it. They're going to have to go through the process, go through their grit, feel the stress, feel all that. And then we'll figure something out along the road. Um, but I'm like, we'll, we'll have to, you know, work on some idea to do that. So 
when you do figure it out, because I know you'll be way ahead of me, <laughs> sounds like maybe a book to be read because I talked to a lot of other people and this is something that they talk, this conversation comes up often. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just, this is, so my son is 16 and he was, you know, we were, we were sitting in the living room the other day and um, he was, ex- you know, he was expressing the concern for paying for college. And we, he was in, he was in tears. Like he was like, I don't know how, how I'll ever pay for college. And he, he was thinking that he was going to have to pay for college all by himself mm-hmm. because, you know, he works, he's 16, he's got a job. He works at a, he works at a local deli and, and um, I make him save 50% of everything he makes uh, into a savings account. And uh, I, I, we talk about investing and, and he's like, why am I saving? I'm like, well, this is, this is your college fund. So he thought because he had a college fund that he was going to have to pay for college 100% himself. And so he's terrified. He's like, there's no way I can ever do this. Um, so, you know, it's such a struggle. Um, and maybe there is a book in this. I don't know. Uh, it, it's, I don't think there's a right way. I, th- I don't think there's a, you know, this is, the, this is the way to raise kids. I think there's lots of ways and lots of different kinds of kids. And it's like kind of luck of the draw uh, and, and kind of mashing, mashing your philosophy and your hopes for them and your love for them into uh, constant discussions and constant awareness and constant, you know, trim the sails this way, maybe turn this way a little bit, shift this a little bit, change that a little bit, figure it out as we go. Uh, I don't think there's a prescriptive way uh, to do this, especially raising them, raising them in a culture that is so focused on money and trying to not have them focused so heavily on money, trying to show them the value of well-being and balance and and friendships and relationships with family and um, you know spirituality and, and whatever those things are. Uh, how do we how do we keep them away from this sole focus on financial success, especially given my career? Like that's that's what I do. Like that's you know I help people manage wealth and transfer wealth. So it's sort of natural for my kids to be like, oh, well, this is obviously the most important thing, but it's not, <laughs> it's just not, it's not, it's not. And I just have to keep stating it over and over and over again. Maybe we'll write the book together. What do you think? Vic? That sounds like a plan. I'm all for it. You know, it's uh, and I, I agree. It's, 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 it, it, it's one of the things where, you know, this whole culture on the money thing, how can we, you know, shift those gears, but until we have people out there and I think they will always be out there. I've seen them. You're in the financial world. I know you've seen this already. I have, friends in the financial world. And I see them doing this where they show you the massive house. They show you the big, nice cars. And they say, here's the life. This is what's important. They're like not showing what's important, but they're like, here's what we can get you to Here's success. In other words, and they keep showing that. And as long as our culture and the media and all that keep praising that and looking at that, I, you know, it's one of those things where uh, it's going to be a tough tide to turn, but I I do believe there is a movement happening where even we're starting to shift gears and kind of say, you know what, money is not everything. It is important. Um, but there's other things that we, you know, focusing more on. And I think that's what COVID really did too, is kind of really checked our values and, and really see what's really important versus what isn't and how to really reset, like re, re, reallocate, I guess, your values. I don't know what the proper word to use here but to, to just reassess them to see what's important for us and not in all that process. I, I, I mean, I really hope you're right. I really, really do. I, I sort of, I'm being very cynical right now, actually. I don't know why, where, where this thread is coming from, but I think that probably what happens, I think we did sort of check our values and we did change some things, um, but the world took away our ability to do lots of things. 
And so when, when the world grants us that ability, you know, re- returns the ability to, to travel and do things again, ah, I think that we probably return to doing things, you know, maybe we change 5%, but this is, this is a long, long-term thing that we've built this up, this, this sort of financial uh, focus. It's going to take a long time to unwind it. It's not something that'll happen through a, through a crisis because we'll just, we're just going to return. We're very uh, adaptable. We adapt to this, this goes away, we adapt to the new. Uh, and, and we're pretty driven by you know, what we want right now. Uh, and and that's, it's going to be hard to overcome that. I, I'm hopeful. I mean, I, I do think the movement is there. I just hope we can make sure we can feed that movement and, and, and keep it going uh, for sure. Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, some people like I know in my coaching clients and so forth, it was one of the times where this happened. And I was like, hey, this is the most, not the most, but it is a very great opportunity to, it's kind of like in a stock, it drops, but you know, you're in a bull market, it's going to go forward and you caught that bottom or right, you just had a set price to bid and this is where I'm going to go. And it's all of a sudden, bam, it hits it. And then it runs in there to 20, 30% or whatever it may be, or goes on a nice massive bull run for yourself. I think this is this is what COVID was from a value perspective. And it's only mm. going to be the ones that truly took that on. Because with my coaching clients, I'm like, here's the best time to create. Here's the best time to get creative. Even though I had a couple of clients who, you know, their businesses were shut down. And they're like, I don't even know how I'm going to afford coaching in this and that. I said, don't, don't, don't get stuck into the fear and lack. Let's shift mindset. Let's shift perspectives. And you'll see three, five, six months down the road, you're going to look back and go, man, am I so glad I made that decision. Um, or even like holding a stock for that matter. And, you know, you think it's taking a hard hit, but you're like, you know what? I know this is going to go. I know there's some great things. And a couple of weeks later, all of a sudden, here comes out a nice article uh, about something really great. And all of a sudden you see that nice stock jump up nicely because of it. Um, that's the whole luck playing in the role, but, um, <laughs> cause I've learned very well. It's more luck than anything else. Um, just like this morning, I was in a coin that I've held for like five weeks and it has not done anything for me. I've been losing money. Um, and then all of a sudden a new article partnership comes out and it jumps up 50%. I'm like, all right, it was worth the hold. I'm up now. Finally. <laughs> Thank you. That was great. You know, and I had nothing to do with it, even though the, the, the technical analysis was great when I got in. Um, but it just kept slowly bleeding. And I was just like, well, I know this is going to turn around. And uh, then there it was. So yeah, that, I, th- I think, uh, yeah, the move, but there, there's a movement, but there's also, you're just going to have people, I think personally, that just were like, well, I just have to get through this. This is what it is. They got stuck in fear. And when you're in fear, you're, you're, you're paralyzed and you don't do yeah. anything. And I think those are the ones that are going to go right back to the same situation that you were talking about. So I can definitely feel that vibe with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, we, we, we say, uh, going back to a couple seconds ago, that uh, you know, um, uh, money isn't everything, but it infects everything. Uh, uh, you know, we, we, we tend to return to this concept of, well, you know, bigger house, faster car, um, and maybe it'll be just be more electric car, uh, or maybe it'll be you know, cleaner car. Maybe we, can, maybe we can apply values on top of the financial stuff uh, as well. Uh, we'll see. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll, some of us will go back. Some of us have retested. Some of us will figure new things out. That's, you know, there's a lot of us. So we'll, we'll, this, this is a big ship, you know, turning it in one direction or another is going to take a lot of, a lot of effort. Um, so we start with the small things one at a time, people, these, these conversations, hopefully people that listen to this conversation can go, oh, you know what, maybe we should have a little bit less focus on this. Maybe we're, maybe we're part of the movement. 
Love it. Yeah, totally agree with you there. Um, one last question I have is, you know, stimulus money's coming out. People are getting, you know, I don't know, couples are getting what, $2,800. I think there's, I don't know what the children are. If you have children, I know there's another bonus as long as you qualify. What would you give, um, what would you recommend people to do when they get like a stimulus check like this um, in the sense of, uh, from from a financial standpoint, what to do with it? Like, save a certain percentage. What, I mean, I know you can't give certain advice, but it's just, uh, uh, if it was, um, I'm trying to use a term here, don't, not coming to me, but what would you recommend? Yeah. So, I mean, I, the thing I always recommend, whether we get the stimulus checks or not is to, is to have a plan and follow your plan. You know, th- think about in advance, the things you want to have happen in your life. So if you take, if you take a couple, um, maybe they got a couple kids, they're going to, they're going to get a, a pretty good sized check. Um, they're going to go down a, in their plan, they're going to have a sequence of things that they're working on. You know, they've got to, they've got to pay off. If they have high interest debt, they got to pay off the high interest debt. If they haven't started saving for retirement, they're going to want to start saving for retirement. If they, uh, if they don't have an emergency fund, they're going to have to put some money towards an emergency fund. So it, you know, the recommendation is always and everywhere based on what one individual's scenario might be. So what I, what is happening you know, uh, and this is really, really interesting. What is happening is our savings rate has gone literally through the roof, high as it has ever been. We have more people putting more money aside than we've ever seen. We're, we are seeing people pay down loads and loads and loads of debt. We're also seeing, and this is more the, more the um, uh, credit card debt and this kind of debt. We're also seeing people take money out of their homes and in, in a level we haven't seen since you know, 2006, 2007, um, uh, you know, refinancing their, their, their housing debt. And they're, maybe they're, maybe they're building something, maybe they're redoing their kitchen, maybe they're, you know, buying another uh, rental property or, or whatever they're doing. Um, but we're, we're seeing with these uh, small influxes of a little bit of additional capital, we're seeing some people doing some really smart things. They're, they're, they're saving, they're, they're getting ready for a, a rainy day or they're, it's raining right now and they're, they're using that money to survive. We're also seeing some people and the day after the checks hit, you see a big pop at um, places like Robinhood. You know, people start trading more. So there's, there is a, there's a subset of people that take this money and, Oh, I got, you know, I got uh, 1300 bucks or 1400 bucks or whatever it is. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to put it on red uh, on GameStop or with, uh, with some sort of a meme stock. We're seeing a little bit of that. Um, but I think that by and large, and this is averages, so averages hide a lot of detail, but the, the average tells us that the U.S. consumer, the, the U.S. citizen is better off now than they were a year ago, which is really interesting given what we've gone through. And again, it hides all kinds of people that are much, much, much worse off. Uh, it just kind of shows that our targeting of these of these uh, stimulus monies or these recovery monies, the targeting hasn't been great. Meaning, people that didn't need it got it, and if people didn't need it and they got it, they saved it. You know, uh, they they, you know, we're seeing a a run on new refrigerators and a run on furniture and a run on sporting goods and a run on all kinds of things. So people that didn't need it got it. So maybe if we're doing more of this in the future, I, I hope we can target it better. Uh, so that people that really, really need it, get it and get more of it. Um, I certainly don't need it. I know lots of my clients got it and they don't need it. Uh, and, and, and it's just, 
it's too, it's too bad it wasn't more targeted uh, because we could have done a lot more good for people that really needed it if we if we did better targeting. But that's hard. That's a very difficult puzzle to figure out. It is because you got to know like their personal, you know, what they're going through and stuff like that. Because I know we got it. We were looking. I looked at my wife. I'm like, we don't need this at all. I'm like, this is not. I'm like, there's other people who need this way more than we do. Um, you can but, you can give it to them. I know that's what someone said. Someone was like, hey, why don't you just donate? I said, well, we gave a little portion away. Then I was like, well, I'm going to reinvest this. Then I'm going to use this for something for ourselves so that we can have more later, and then I can give more later because I have more buying, you know, more more power to that to be able to do that. But that's kind of what we did, but it was, it was interesting to how they did it. And, uh, but unfortunately, like it is, it's one of those things where you try to do good for all and there's just going to be, there's going to be shortcomings along the way. And some people yep. don't need, and some do, but it's just part of the game. I think, I think they got a little better this next time around. Uh, but then again, even, you know, people who money is different. Like I was talking to, had interviewed someone else earlier and we talked about money and the struggles of each individual is different as you go up. It's like, you know, Warren Buffett still has struggles with money. It may not, but what we think it is um, in the sense of like, well, he's a billionaire. He's got generational wealth. I mean, his great, 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 great grandchildren don't even have to worry about things, but there's still money things that come up. There's still situations and choices and things that he has to do. And there's risks that come involved with those, even though he's just playing at a bigger level or a a different level. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's, I, I have a, I have a hard time thinking. I know that there's challenges when you have that kind of wealth for sure. I have a hard time like being too terribly um, compassionate or w- worried about Warren Buffett's finances. Cause he's, it's not just that he has a lot of money. He's also, he and uh, Charlie Munger together. They're, they're the most like straight shooting, um, you know, stable thinking, you know, thoughtful people uh, out there. They just, when, when you hear them talk, you, people just listen. They say very smart things. Um, and it, it just, I, I think that probably he's in, he's in fine shape. And if, if there is a, uh, a financial challenge, he'll figure it out uh, for sure. He has the means to handle it, right? Yes, he does. <laughs> so. Um, Jonathan, this was awesome. I enjoyed um, just sharing all this information, you know, you sharing all this information with us. Um, Real quick, though, how can people connect with you, find you and see what you're up to, get your book, all that good stuff? Yeah, I mean, the best the best place to go get the book is to go to a local bookstore uh, and assuming that they're open. And if they're not, you can always it's always available on Amazon as well. Um, The best place to reach out and connect with us is at uh, mindful.money. Uh, and I believe in the show notes, you're going to have a link there, but you also have a, you also have a link to the courses and the specifically to the free course that we're offering your listeners. Um, that's the, that's the values, purpose, goal setting course. Um, and I, I think that's where, you know, that's kind of where it all starts. Um, get, get that figured out, get your values down, figure out what your purpose is, set some goals, uh, and then just move forward on that. And I think, I think you get a lot of benefit from it and I'm, I'm hoping your listeners get a lot of benefit from it as well. Awesome. For the listeners, I'll have everything in the show notes for you. Um, Jonathan, appreciate the work you're doing and you're making a huge monumental shift with your family, working with your kiddos, but then also trying to shift that gear of where we kind of went down. I wouldn't say the wrong path. I think every path is the right path because we have to learn something. That's what, that's what we have. That's why we went down it. Um, and But now making that shift and change to try to shift values of, in the humans and especially in America here. Uh, greatly appreciate it all. Yeah. Thanks, Vic. I'm, I'm happy to spend the time with you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com.
www.thinkandgrowthpodcast.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. Until next time, keep rocking and rolling.